Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com Mike. Welcome into House of Wrestling, everybody. It's me, Nick Hausman. Come on in. Take your shoes off. Take your shirt off. It is hot outside today. Jump on into the living room and join us as we chat with our very good friend today, Stephanie Chase. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to come back to House of Wrestling. Hey, Nick. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's going well, to be a great show. We are going to have a great show. Man, we have too much news to talk about. And you were in Wembley for AEW yeah. All In, right? Yeah, and I still haven't recovered, like, at all. I'm so exhausted. It was the whole trip was more tiring than any of my trips to America. Um, there was just like too much going on. I'm really tired. And yeah, I only got back last night. So I'm still like unpacking and thinking about it. Been what we watching on TV too. So yeah, it was one hell of an experience. Yeah. It's like, it's like relocating to a different city, 80,000 people, you know, you can I, know. Up... <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't make it all in, but I was at WrestleMania 35 or whatever. And mm-hmm. AT&T stadium where they had 82,000 people there or whatever it was. It yeah. is. It is when you are a little speck in that whole big field of people, you like yeah. feel that it's wild. It's like you can't comprehend how many like people that is. And you're looking out and it's just, like they're everywhere and the stadium itself was so big I was trying to do like a little walkabout at one point I walked for about 2,000 steps and then I realized if I go any further I'm not going to remember where I came from and I'm never going to find my seat again (laughs) this place is huge (laughs) yeah that'll happen that'll happen you get lost you're like oh where am I now you're in a boiler room McFoley and Undertaker smashing each other right that kind of yeah yeah Um, Well, uh, we are going to not waste too much time here at the top of the show because we do have so much to get into. I do want to remind everybody, if you are watching us first run in video form, you are watching us on the Premier Streaming Network. Tuesday, Thursday, noon Eastern, come over to Premier Streaming Network. You can catch this and find all the archives of the House of Wrestling episodes up till now. Tons of great guests, tons of great co-hosts. Go check out all the shows over at Premier Streaming Network. Uh, We are going to have Gunther, Gunther, later here in the show uh, this is my SummerSlam week interview. We'll wrap up the show with me and Gunther here. This was a, this is actually still a pretty timely interview because he's still Intercontinental Champion. So yes, 
Yeah, and we're coming out of the biggest UK show ever. Everything just feels like it's coming together today, Steph. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. And of course, you got to go over to houseofwrestling.com, H-A-U-S of wrestling.com. That is the lifeblood. That is the thing that keeps this whole train moving. Uh, anything you hear about on the show today, I will have written about, or Nick Miller or Ennis McVeigh, my other two writers here at House of Wrestling, will have written about it on the site. And we dropped some exclusives from time to time. A couple of them exploded yesterday. We will get to them in just a moment. Uh, I will say off the top of the show, yesterday was the most overall traffic we have ever received in a single day. We have been around just shy of six months. We doubled the amount of traffic for the second most overall traffic day in the history of the site. And that was back in April. That record stood forever. It was the day that I released the Jonathan Gresham Breaks His Silence on ROH and AEW exit uh, yeah. piece. We did twice the amount of that traffic yesterday. We've never gotten close to the Gresham before yesterday. So I just want to thank everybody uh, for, for hitting us up. We had a banner day for the site. Probably something that will change our SEO forever so congratulations man wow yeah thank you so before we get into the exclusives before we go back to some fun punditry uh i do want to of course call out the very sad news that we got at the end of last week we have not recorded since uh last friday or thursday when we all found out about the passing of bray wyatt um aka Win windham rotunda uh he was only 36 years old fightful reporting uh that it was due to a heart-related covid complication uh, that resulted in a heart attack. TMZ put out a report yesterday noting he wasn't wearing this medical device that he was supposed to be wearing. Uh, he went to took a, take a nap and passed away in his sleep. Apparently his alarm went off and that's when somebody came in to find him as, as he was. Um, horrible situation here. Uh, we have seen tributes on Raw and SmackDown. Eric Rowan returning to WWE. Uh, we had the lantern at AEW All In from the House of Black guys. It's just been nothing but an outpouring, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know what to say. How? What is? Was there anything you'd like to say about the the passing of Wyatt here? Yeah, it's just absolutely devastating and shocking. I remember when I heard the news. Um, I was out on Thursday and with a lot of friends, and we just absolutely couldn't believe it. And Bray Wyatt is someone that. I was I was so into when you know he was doing NXT and when the Wyatt family first came into WWE, um, and I I just remember I would sit at night and watch like old interviews with him, um, and then watch a lot of kind of pre WWE stuff like even before he did the Husky Harris thing too like college stuff just trying to like figure out like who this guy you know really was because he was so mysterious. Um, and it's just shocking. He's just one of the most memorable, you know, WWE wrestlers from from my time watching. And yeah, it's just heartbreaking news. Reading that TMZ report yesterday and just hearing about like what actually happened just made it just even more like tragic thinking about it and his family, Jojo and his children, all of them just devastating. Yeah. And, you know, to, to call out kind of one of the elephants in the room here, and we are several days removed from this year. It's a COVID related complication. It, it, there yeah. seems to be, there seems to be another wave here in the States at the moment. I have a friend just get COVID for the third time, believe it or not here in Chicago. Um, I'm getting boosted this week because of this news. And I encourage everybody to take care of themselves because it's a very real thing that's happening out there. And we don't need to be losing talents like this. 
you know, it's such a young age that are so influential um, because of because of COVID. It, it's it's not preventable, but you can do a lot to put put stuff in the way of, of getting it. Um, Bray Wyatt was, I mean, at the age of 36, probably did more to inspire and kind of change the dynamic of WWE storytelling than any maybe anybody in the last 10 years. You know, yeah. he he came in, he wanted to work outside the box. He pushed people to, to present themselves differently to to some success and sometimes to the detriment. But he pushed people and uh, everything I've seen and heard about him as a person has been nothing but very, very positive. He was a father. He was a husband, a great husband. And, um, you know, as someone who's 38, uh, it's just really, it's a lot to take in. Um, so I just wanted to obviously address it here at the top of the show. What a guy, huge fans here at the show. And we are sending our, Oh, and I should note that if you want to support Bray, Bray's family, um, Jojo and his, and his children, Go over to WWE.com. What merchandise is left? Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it got – the buzzers uh, were certainly swarming on that merch. Uh, but anything that is bought on the site, all that proceeds going to go back to his family. So um, sending our best, obviously, uh, to Wyatt's family and friends and fans. All right. Let's get into uh, pro wrestling news. Uh, so <laughs> AEW All In – the largest, most attended pro wrestling show of all time happened on Sunday. And we're going to lead off with a story about a fight that took place backstage and not mm -hmm. in the ring. Man. Yeah. Wow. Stephanie, it happened again. It happened again. We were so close to the you know, one year anniversary, a couple of weeks ago, I'd started writing about like a year on. And now I'm like, well, I have to completely change that because another incident has happened. So it's not even like we can reflect back. It's like, no, something else has happened. Um, absolutely insane. It wouldn't be AW without this. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be AW if we weren't talking about something that wasn't, you know, what a great show they put on at Wembley. Yeah. It'll, it'd be great yeah. to put the spotlight on that, and we will get to All In. But let's get to what happened backstage at All In, because there was some balling going out backstage. Um, Fightful was the very first to report, and it was almost instantly. Like, yeah. Shot, like, I don't know if Sean Ross I mean, you mean me to get in that tweet, like, as I'm watching this, like, what? It was bizarre. Because so Sean, I'm crediting Fightful because, you know, it's Sean. But Sean on his personal Twitter account within like, I mean, like as Punk was walking to the ring, yeah. if I recall, yeah. getting this word out that there was an altercation backstage moments before the pay-per-view between Punk and Jack Perry. And everything started off as planned with Punk and Joe. And that is kind of a miracle based off of what it sounds like happened backstage. So I'm going to read our House of Wrestling report. There are other... PW Torch had a report that made it sound more like maybe Punk was the aggressor. Fightful's reporting a little bit more, both sidesy, but basically said that Perry came at Punk was their initial reporting. Uh, we put out a report on uh, Monday morning after everything had kind of settled, and here's what we had gathered about the situation. So from what we're told, Punk was waiting in the gorilla position 
before the show went live for his match against Samoa Joe, when Perry entered the area and walked up to him. Punk initiated the verbal exchange between the two, asking Perry if he had something to say. The conversation quickly escalated, leading to Perry asking Punk to do something about it. This is when Punk shoved Perry. Perry responded by shoving Punk back, and then Punk put him in what is being described to me as a chokehold, and I was told Punk viewed putting Perry in a chokehold is something he viewed as a way to neutralize the situation as he is a trained professional fighter and did not actually want to have to throw hands with Jack Perry for fear, as it was told to me, he might kill him. So he decided to instead throw Jungle Jack Perry into this chokehold. Um, no punches were thrown, as far as we're known. Um, we, uh, we then hear Punk walked to his dressing room, got cleaned up, and spoke to AEW security. Punk, knowing that the situation was not good, asked security if it would be better for everyone if he left the building. He was told, nobody's telling you to leave the building. But he said, but then they said, it, it might be better, though, if you did. Punk agreed with security, left the building of his own accord, and then got to his hotel and ordered Nando's, where he then ate with some of the members of the, sta- the talent after the show. They all ate Nando's. People love that tidbit, by the oh, way. We, yeah. both, we both ate Nando's yesterday. It was wonderful. Yeah. From what we gather, there's not been much communication between Punk and AEW since last night, and that has continued for what it's worth. AEW since last night, uh, considering everything that is going on, it is fair to say that Punk's future with AEW and pro wrestling in general appears to be questionable. Um, and then Sports Illustrated reporting this morning that both Jack Perry and CM Punk have been suspended. Um, it is unclear whether that means Punk is, I mean, I don't think that people expected him at Dynamite because that's the elite show, but is he going to be a collision? Is he going to be at all out? I'd say that's more than up in the air at the moment, Stephanie. Yeah. Um, wow. To, to, to think I might have seen CM Punk's last match in Wembley Stadium all because of Jack Perry. Um, I mean, look, everyone's going to have their different opinions on this. I don't know what the heck Jack Perry was thinking, throwing in you know, his comment during his match, clearly referencing back to this punk thing um as you know antagonizing him or whatever and then it's just all of it i i just i punk you know it it doesn't sound like punk handled it very well but i don't think jack perry was right with what he did either like well and and as i did not point out in the lead up to this obviously there was the match between jack perry and hook yeah on the zero hour where Jack, or I think Jack got dropped into the windshield and then he, he did like a senton onto hook on the windshield. Mm-hmm. Then he hit the windshield and he looked at the camera and said, it's real glass, cry me a river. Um, a shot right at punk. Now here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing that I can't get past. Cause I had, I had, I've had, I've had people consistently getting back to me. Like, why can't this guy punk stay out of this? Why couldn't he have just stayed in his dressing room was what somebody that I respect and like, said to me and I'm like dude he was in gorilla right it's like you can't be in your dressing room until the moment you walk through the curtain there's going to be time you have to go between those two places right this man is in gorilla 
he is ready to wrestle, start off the show, right? It doesn't sound to me like he gave a shit about what Jack Perry said, right? He was just showing up to just get through this thing with hopefully no drama. Jack Perry comes into the gorilla position and walks right up to him by pretty much every account, very close proximity. Why? Why? After Jack had said this thing on camera, are people letting Jack Perry into Gorilla with CM Punk, knowing there's that friction? Where is security? Where is AEW management? Did anybody talk to Jack after the match? Like, hey, dude, that may have inflamed the situation. Maybe don't go confront Punk about it, right? Or at best, just knock it off, right? How Punk wants to, like, again, we had, uh, it sounds like people high up in AEW escorting the elite to Punk's locker room head all out, right? That ends in physical confrontation. Yeah, I'll never get over that one. The, yeah. the Buck yeah. team escorted there. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, by, someone that, by someone that's meant to be as their job working in the company's best interest. But yeah, yeah. sure. You know? So, once a, so, okay. So, Punk's on this. And here's, and so other people keep pointing back to the Adam Page thing. They're like, well, yeah. Punk did the Adam Page thing. That inflamed tensions. Everything is equal, I guess, right? I don't know. Because Punk, knowing that he made the Adam Page remark and it came across poorly, went backstage, sat down, and wrote an apology to Adam, to Adam Page. Like, yeah. I know I fucked up. Sorry about that. We're all working through this situation, whatever it may be. Whether or not Paige accepted that apology, I still have no idea. But Punk did not fire off that line and then just be like, hey, you know what? I really hate Adam Page. Next time I see him, I'm going to confront him. Maybe we get into a fight, right? Yeah. Jack Perry went out, said this thing. I don't think he apologized to Punk for the line. Sounds to me like he instead wanted to escalate the situation. That's a very big difference for me than the way that the Punk Page situation played out on Collision a couple weeks ago. I don't know if that, that resonates with you. Yeah, absolutely. And there just there's obviously so many backstage problems, and there's just seems to be no kind of structure in there to work things out. And obviously, whatever the culture is backstage, someone like Jack Perry, a young wrestler, feels empowered to be able to do this. Or to you know punk to be able to do this backstage and it feels like you know to me like it all does come back to tony and how tony handles things the, the buck should stop with him and i don't think he's worked out a way to handle things yet given like the year that he's had to try and make things better and i think that there's the young guys like jungle boy never worked in wwe that see this place as somewhere where you can really get away with a lot because Tony is like a friend. He's like yeah. the guy, the guy in the bar. Um, he wants to be nice to everyone. He wants to take everyone out for drinks. And then you've got older guys that have worked for WWE and they think this guy is uh, the opposite of Vince McMahon. And we can get away with a lot of stuff too, because this guy isn't like what Vince was like. And he, he, Tony is yet to get, a handle on on who he is like what kind of boss he is is he an actual boss is he a friend is he going to employ other people that will help give this company some kind of structure i think like there's a lot of things they need help on 
that he just doesn't seem to bother with because he, you know, he likes hiring a lot of wrestlers. And I think he, he sometimes has put those hiring decisions as a priority over some things that could maybe like actually help this company, you know, structurally internally and all these things and able to enable them to grow. And so that we don't have to be sitting talking about backstage drama and stuff like that after they just had this, you know, incredible show, like the talents there, the fan base is there, but backstage it's like, it's, I don't know. Sometimes it seems like the house is like on fire, but you know, everything else is all right. Yeah. Well, the house, the house is on fire here today. That's for sure. And the bucks yeah. should, the bucks should stop at Tony Khan. I like that. That was a good, that was a good <laughs> play on words there. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I've said it before. I'll briefly reiterate it. Tony Khan reminds me a lot of young Vince McMahon, like when he was just getting going with WWF and did not have the infrastructure in place and was just kind of wild westing it, trying to find his way in pro wrestling. You hear a lot more stories about Vince back in the day, going out, partying, that kind of thing with the boys, the kind of super closeness with certain talents. They got preferential treatment, wink, wink, uh, Hulk Hogan, right? Like there were... There, there are a lot of similarities, I think, between young Vince McMahon and Tony Khan. And the thing, to, the thing that Vince realized, and this is something Sean Waltman said to me on the podcast, was at a certain point, you have to remove yourself from the boys if you're going to run a business. You can't, be, you can't both be one of the boys and be in charge of the boys. You have to pick a lane yeah. and you have to move. If you want things to function and not be a mess, you got to pick a lane. You can't be one of the boys and in charge of the boys. And that's not to say that you have to, like, not be friendly with people or engage people because it's still a, a place of, you know, business and you're gonna have to get things done, but you're not going out after the show with people, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're appointing people that you trust to be in positions where when they say something to somebody, you have their back, right? Like if Christopher Daniels says one thing to you, that person cannot then run to Tony Khan and have that thing overruled, right? Same thing goes for Adam Hopkins. Same thing goes for Jeff Jarrett. Same thing goes for, Agents and matches from Jerry Lynn, Dean De- Malenko on down. These people need to be able to say things to talent and have the authority for talent to listen to them. And that is what Vince had to go through. And I think that's what Tony's going through right now. In regard to the suspensions of these two men, I think it is worth noting that I was never told and have still never been told that Punk was formally suspended after All Out. We've heard about these suspensions, right? We've heard of, the, we know that their titles got taken off of them. I don't know that I would still classify what happened with the talent after All Out as suspensions. I, I think it was more of a pause while everybody just figured out what was going on, right? But the Bucks and Kenny were back before Punk, only like a couple weeks later. Were they suspended? I don't know. Maybe punished, right? Punk towards yeah. tricep. Punk couldn't come back to TV if he wanted to, right? I do not believe Punk was ever formally suspended, nor did we ever, I believe, get anything from AEW saying these people are formally suspended. I don't know that that verbiage was ever used, right? In this situation, it is being used, right? I have been told that Punk was informed of the suspension um, through a mediary uh, ahead of the article going out today, but I don't know that he got that I don't know that he got a formal call saying you're suspended after all out. And I certainly, we didn't get a, we didn't get an SI sports illustrated report like this morning did saying these guys are suspended. And the reason I want to point this out is because I don't think CM Punk wants to be there right now. Right. Yeah. Like suspending CM Punk in this moment is a way to make it look like 
we are choosing for CM Punk not to be here right now. When I think yeah. the reality of the situation might be a little bit more that CM Punk does not want to be there right now. And that is not necessarily the look that Tony Khan, I think, wants in this moment, Stephanie. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. And I can understand why Punk wouldn't want to be there at this time. Um, it's, it is kind of baffling if that, you know, you said he hadn't had much contact with AEW. Like, I do wonder, like, why aren't they talking to him um, and trying to rectify this before it, like, blows up anymore? And Tony especially, you know, himself, I would have thought he would have been talking to Punk. Um, have they said how long the suspension is for, given we have big Chicago shows in days? SI left it way, way yeah. open. I, I am under the impression that... If things can be rectified, mm -hmm. then maybe, maybe he's back for, for collision and all out big, maybe, right. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. what I think is going to complicate this situation is that I think that any shot of a sit down between punk and the elite is dead, at least yeah. for the time being, once again, deader than a doornail. I don't think that punk will get, I think there's like a line of lawyers that Punk's not allowed to cross that the Bucks and I think more so the Bucks than, than Kenny, definitely not Paige. Yeah. That and and like this issue will go unresolved. I think that these guys view sitting down with Punk and burying the hatchet as a loss because if they bury the hatchet with Punk, they validate him again and they say, What a good guy, we've moved on, and he sticks around. And they don't want that. They want this guy to be uncomfortable. They want people to be uncomfortable about him. They want people to be uncomfortable being his friend. They want people to be uncomfortable about CM Punk until he is gone. And mm -hmm. the only reason I could think that Tony Khan is requiring this man to stay under contract because I don't think he wants to be there is because Tony Khan is trying to get that billion-dollar bag of money from Warner Brothers Discovery. He hasn't nailed the landing yet. The deal is not done. He talked about it four days ago in The Hollywood Reporter about how they're about to enter those TV rights negotiations. And if he loses Punk as he's trying to get that billion-dollar bag, he may not get that billion-dollar bag. And you're now, well, now we're just staring down the barrel of why isn't Tony stepping in to manage the situation more properly? Because I think you can get that bag, but you're going to have to get people under control, and that's obviously not happening right now. And it's wild because they they made him the star of Collision. Tony gave him, you know, Collision as a little bit of a solution to some of the problems, I guess, with, with the elite. We can um and he's the star, he's the vocal point of collision. So I'd be scared to lose him for what do like what do we do with collision if he's not around anymore? But I'm wondering, like, do you think or can you pinpoint if were Tony's maybe changed his attitude to punk? Because it certainly seemed, you know, in the beginning that he loved, he's clearly a fan of punk, loved him, wanted him around. We then, even when he came back for collision, we heard reports of him like cheering in gorilla. Do you think that he sees him differently now? His, he'd be willing to cut bait now or, I don't think I don't think he I don't think he wants to cut bait because I don't think he wants to have the publicity of Punk leaving AEW as he's trying to get the contract yeah. negotiations right. 
I do wonder if his uh, the dynamic between him and Tony have changed because this situation feels different than previous situations. Like yeah. I, I pointed out the suspension thing because it really is like that's the first time AEW, in my opinion, has explicitly been like CM Punk may be in the wrong here. Right. They didn't even do that after all out. Right. They didn't it's do that. Weird, this sounds like the one where he's maybe not in the wrong as much as all that, you know. But the thing the thing is, like, I think this is very much a straw that broke the camel's back situation. It's regardless of who's right, who's wrong. It's another CM Punk backstage news story. Right. And typically when this stuff happens, I hear about tony khan and punk like texting back and forth hey let's work through it hey let's figure out how we're gonna do this thing i'm so sorry about this dude i know it sucks blah 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 i'm not hearing any of that i'm not hearing yeah. any of that. this guy grabbed his stuff walked out the back bought some cheeky nandos and has not had any direct conversation with the company from my from what i've gathered um as of this morning um about this situation and uh i'll yeah go ahead sorry i am uh, I feel like there's people that are close to Tony that don't want Punk there, never wanted him there. When Tony wanted to bring him back after, after brawl out, you know, for, because they need him for the ratings, for the money, for the TV deals, to get collision off the ground, all of it. Um, I think they, people acted in best interest to Tony, like loyally to Tony to be like, okay, we'll, we'll let you do this. But I'm telling you, this is this isn't gonna work out. Like this isn't it. Um, and we're just waiting for a moment. And I think we had a moment uh at, at Wembley and even maybe Tony had to be like, damn, you know, something happened. Uh well, yeah, and that's the thing is like, you know, can do you pull punk from all, you know, all pay-per-views, right? Like is even putting him in the building with these guys tenable right i don't think punk wants yeah. to be in the building with these guys why would you if you if no. these guys are in the building you're constantly getting in physical fights with them i don't care who you are you don't want to go to work and worry about having to fight somebody every single day no. i've been i've had one person attack me in the ring it was josephus brody rest in peace i guess and you know he it was one of the scariest moments of my life and leading into that attack in the ring that happened at resistance pro under billy corgan's watch the whole backstage area felt terrifying to me. Like, I knew something was going to happen. I went through it in the comedy scene with Scott Colton, who him and his buddies bullied me out and ran me out of town and told people I'm crazy, right? Nick Hausman, what a, you know, the same stuff. Nobody likes Nick. Nobody's ever liked Nick, right? When you're first day on the job, you walk back to the AW locker room, you got people whip, whispering that behind your back from day one, you feel uncomfortable. But once they yeah. start to elevate to violence, where you're no longer just like I'm not wanted here on a on a high school politics level to a I'm not wanted here on a sense that people might physically attack me, it it's it's a whole different situation, you know. And I think there's a, certainly a case to be made here that punk is like in a building with people who can't seem to help themselves but want to actually attack this guy, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is messed up. Last punk item here. And we'll try to get into some WWE stuff before Gunther. My almost entire half hour here is talking about Punk and Perry. I put out this other story <laughs> that has been verified by some cheeky fans from London uh -huh. with their with their photos of Punk on the two in the tube. So Punk shows up at Heathrow Airport and gets off. Nobody from AEW's there. His car's yeah. not there. He texts a number to figure out where the car's at. 
number bounces back is invalid. Can't get a hold of anybody from AEW. So he decides I'm going to buy a train ticket and I'll make my way to the hotel by myself. Um, he gets into the tube. It's very busy. He gets lost. Fans have to help him find his way to his hotel. And he eventually makes it there after like sleep deprivation and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, talk about miscommunication. And for what it's worth, I had somebody hit me up like after that story went live and it was obviously true. That was like, dude, it is multiple top name AEW talents that were have spent time in WWE that all dealt with this same thing where they got they got mm, ghosted on their travel and had to find ways back. That really keeps being like, well, why didn't Punk buy a Lyft or an Uber? Uh, guys, Punk is, <laughs> spoiler alert, very thrifty. <laughs> like... Honestly, that's what my mom said. Why didn't he get a cab? And I was like, mother, you know the price of a cab from Heathrow to into like central London, Wembley, whatever. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. He, he, he might own a car, but I know for a fact he bicycles around Chicago. Yeah. And, and I think I've, I've heard he takes, I've never been on the train with him but I've heard he takes public transportation as well. So this is just how he rolls, right? Joe Biden takes the train. He's the president of the United <laughs> States, right? Some yeah. people just, you know, it's a way to save money. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, I just thought it was it was shocking when I heard there was no one there to meet him. And it, it goes back to stuff I was saying before about a lot of internal stuff is not there. In, in AEW, that you wouldn't have this kind of sorted out. You know, these guys flying into London, they land there, and there's no one there to greet them. Um, I am, I'm not surprised that you said like it's happened to other like top, top stars. I'm not like 100% surprised, but I did feel like when I read about him, you know, not getting, being able to get in touch with anyone, a number bouncing back, that kind of stuff. It did, to me, kind of speak to how I do feel like he's quite isolated in the company, like what we were saying before, you know, people maybe not liking him or whatever, because I do feel that maybe if this had happened to other people, like other top guys, they would have maybe found someone to get a hold of, like not another wrestler, but someone, you know, working in a backstage role, in a company role, in a management role that kind of would have been able to help them, that would have definitely picked up for them that would have been like you know maybe even it's part of their job to help them whereas with punk like just hearing that he was kind of left with like well i guess i'm getting the train then just made me think like this guy um he needs a he needs a friend let's say in in the company he needs a friend i would i I would have gone there to Heathrow to pick him up, of course, um, and I would have helped him. I, I'm actually like I probably would have just paid for an Uber for him and been like, "Come on, Phil, like that's that's not risk that's not risk the, the tube." But yeah, it was. I, I saw I did see a lot of people, you know, having a go at the story, being like, "Is this even a story?" A man had to get a tube. I think it is a story, definitely, for one of your top guys a guy that you've basically built a show around, you know, a guy that's on one of, if not the top contracts in the company, is left to his own devices when he lands in London after a long flight with um, you know, jet lag and all that stuff. I think that definitely is a story because it speaks to something else. The story is not just, oh, per Phil, like the rest of us. The story is what's going on in here that this happened to him. Yeah. 
there's it's indicative of uh ish communication issues within AEW. Yeah, wider and, problem. Yeah. And that's that's why I ran it. Um all right. Let's I'm gonna real quickly run down the highlights of AEW all in. Uh on the zero hour pre-show, Grado, Paul White, and Anthony Agogo got to have a moment there with the Jeff Jarrett and company with Grado hitting Jarrett with a guitar shot to a big pop, one of the biggest yeah. of the night. It felt like to me. I don't know. Yeah. Um Mercedes Monet, she was shown on screen during zero hour. MJF and Adam Cole on zero hour won the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles clean as a whistle. I was very yeah. surprised by that. Very, very, su- very surprised by that. Also on the pre-show, obviously, Hook reclaimed the FTW Championship in the most controversial match of the entire evening. Soraya captured the AEW Women's Championship. The acclaimed and badass Billy Gunn won the AEW Trios Championships. MJF uh, retained the AEW World Title over Adam Cole in the main event to uh, remain friends, it would appear. And yeah. lastly here, it was announced that AEW All In London 2 will be going down next year back at Wembley Stadium. And after this show, Steph, do you think that there there's an enthusiasm there to fill that place with 80,000-plus fans once again? Do you think they can do it twice? I don't think they – I don't know if they can get as high a number twice. I think they can get close. I think the fans um, – you know, it was a really good show. So people left the building happy. People – were really really into it so they've got that I, I was really shocked that they just announced straight away we're coming back um and they announced it it didn't feel like they made enough of the announcement whether in the arena or like on commentary when I watched it back I was like okay that's a it's a bit of a like not that grand way to announce that you're coming back um and I, I also like I don't know how I feel about it them doing it the second year in in a row it kind of really ends the whole it being like a once in a lifetime thing such a big show like so special it's like okay now it's just Wembley twice it is risky though it as well because we will see as the years go on if they keep doing this it will be a real good marker at how company business is going you know when you start with like such a high as this and so I was very surprised they're coming back and it it not in a really bad way, but it it did make me feel a little bit differently about the show because you, you can never you have one chance to make a first impression, right? So this is the first one. It was great. But then if you're thinking about something like because it felt like so big, it's so special, it's so unique and so one off. So say you're they're like, oh, it's it sucks so bad for Jimmy Hater that she didn't get to perform at Wembley like that. Like that really, really sucks. And now you're left with like, oh, well, we can all just, we can all do it again next year. We can all. We can all do it again next year. So, okay then. But yeah, I I'm with you. And like, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't. I if you're going back to London, I think you go back. I think you go to the O2, right? Because yeah. if you go back, if you go back and you sell twenty thousand less tickets at Wembley than you did this year, mm-hmm. it just doesn't have the same punch, right? Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. We'll see where we are in a year. But I'm with you. I'm a little. I'm a little kind of if on going back to Wembley so shortly after oh, yeah. that. A little in. Yeah. And one thing about AEW, like as as we've learned, like you just you can't predict what's coming next, you know, off the screen. So we've got a year to get back to Wembley, but God knows what will happen in that year. Like um well really. talk about the show. Yeah, well, exactly. Like what is what's gonna happen this week? I wonder about yeah. that as well, Stephanie. What's going to happen on the road to all out in six days? Uh five days, I guess, at this point. Yeah, um I, I thought the show was very good. I thought it was a very good show, it was very well paced. I think the criticism about the lack of women 
on the show and women's wrestling was very valid. Um, mm-hmm. It came it came up at SummerSlam as well. And yeah. it's a, it's kind of an industry thing at the moment. The women got less than 10 minutes for the fatal four way match on a four hour show. Uh, granted, it was a I mean, the match was what it was. It was a crowning moment for Soraya. That's what they wanted. They brought her out to Queen. There was a little bit of action. And then she won dirty. Like she had to spray somebody in the face with hairspray and then picked up the win. It wasn't like a big baby face victory, you know? Um, How do you feel about the the use of women uh, in AEW and on the card at the moment? um, I think it's terrible. Um, I think um, I I honestly, like I just, Tony has no interest in women's wrestling or the women. And I think he's proven that so many times. Um, Like that's why I've asked him before, if he listens to to women's voices in creative, because even when they do get storylines, like they're they're so bad that I just think like it's a it's a bunch of old guys putting this together that you know don't know what they're doing. They can't craft anything um good for the women. I, I always think back to the stuff that that Big Swole said that's never, you know, been um never been rectified when she said that there weren't people that looked like her backstage helping and this is still the case you know as well he's got female agents he's got you know madison rain and sarah stock but he doesn't um seem to take any like good creative input from from women at all he doesn't seem interested and the whole the whole four-way here like not to you know put a dunk on it at all but it was just really indicative of how bad they do with women's stuff because he had been getting a lot of criticism um he answered it by just doing a women's main event dynamite where he did a shock title change um and then a tournament um the shock title change i know like everyone was happy for sheeta but at the end of the day sheeta got to be champion during a pandemic with no fans and then she got to be a traditional champion for a couple weeks no story there we haven't learned anything more about sheeta in the time um they did the tournament so that they didn't have to tell a story either they bring out soraya they give her like the queen music but even that they did nothing in this entrance to actually go along with having that iconic song like there was no staging like anything like wrestlemania level or anything close to that she just walked out with her family behind her not even properly in time to the song or anything that you could do to make this seem like a big moment but not that we've ever been given anything on tv to make her feel big or make this feel big for her um and then yeah she's in there with her outcast partner she wins it and i guess they'll give her a storyline starting now where her and tony have some problems but you could have done something going into this it was just like yeah like we'll get four women on the card instead of two um no storyline nothing of course Soraya wins I don't think that's going to do anything to help the women's division she's the weakest female wrestler there and Sheeta got to be champion for a couple of weeks just to give it to Soraya but everyone was going to be happy because they like Sheeta I'm going to ca- couch my comments here by saying I like Max I'm an MJ, I like I like MJF, right? Yeah. I do think that when he is the most popular person in your company and he's walking this weird like he's a heel but he's also a babyface, right? Like the I think that if there is a if there's a tone and a tenor of the fandom of AEW, it, he MJF is kind of the voice of those fans. Like he's got this attitude that yeah. fans of AEW seem to kind of think is cool and want to resonate and like they want to take lead off of Max. Like they kind of want to be 
like MJF. This guy comes out, has 20 women as objects falling down at his feet, and then looks at Alicia Toot during the press conference. And I know it's an inside bit from between them, but calls her Tits McGee from Whoreville. Um, yeah. This comes on the heels of Jack Perry calling his girlfriend a bitch and uh, producing an Anna J shirt where it says juicy ass, whatever kind of shit, right? Yeah. These are not, if you're, if you're trying to send a message to your fans about how to treat and look at women and you're, you've got your top guy calling them whores, yeah. Tits McGee, showing yeah. them his objects. What kind of a way do you think your fans are going to look at the women of your company? Absolutely. I like, I, the Jungle Boy promo, I hated. I made a whole video on that when it happened that, that he, he was saying that and that everyone thought that was okay. MJF, I'll be honest, I never ask MJF a question because I don't know how he'd react to me and I don't want to be put in that position. And like, that's it. I've never asked MJF a question at the press conference. Um, I've turned down interviewing him because of what his character is like. I don't want to hear what funny things Max has to say to the blonde interviewer girl. Like, I don't want to hear it, you know? And, and it's not just that. It's like, I've heard before of people that are like helping like produce the women's segment or whatever. And my thought has been, you're the last person I'd want producing my segment. Thanks. Um, and it's, yeah, it's bad. And you're really right about this stuff with Max, like him, what he said to Alicia. I know they have history. They're friends. It's a callback, whatever. It was not appropriate at all. And once again, no. he's doing this, sat next to Tony Khan, who has nothing nothing to say because he's didn't, just didn't doing it. Didn't, jump in, and say, yeah. uh, didn't yeah. jump in and be like, Alicia, I'm sorry. I know yeah. that's an inside joke between you guys, but we don't condone yeah that kind of verbiage towards women. I was, I was upset at home watching when Max said that to Alicia. And again, I know their history. I've worked with them both. I know she didn't care, but he is a role model for AEW viewers. And if you are trying to project an aura of legitimacy for your women, you don't treat them or present them the way Max talks about women. And I, and he's not, he's not a heel. It's not a heel getting heat. The people in that audience are laughing and jeering him on, right? Yeah. And in their mind, when he says that stuff, it is a baby face line. And that is a problem with AEW right now. Big problem. And it's, it's been a lot recently. I was even very unhappy with when they dragged Britt Baker into the Adam Cole Jericho feud. Um, considering what they've put on, on Brit, making her their main woman, she's done like these incredibly violent matches. And then th- that whole, whole angle where she was just like hit with a kendo stick. And it was when we've literally seen this woman, what she's gone through with her matches with Thunder Rosa. And then you get this whole thing in the storyline where Jericho saying that MJF is just this guy, or no, sorry, Adam Cole is this guy that just, couldn't protect his woman, his woman, like all the time on commentary, I was hearing like his woman, his woman. And it was so infuriating. And then when you do something like that, um, yeah, you know, Britt could get spots in, in a mixed tag match. She's never going to get full revenge on the guy that's been saying all these things about her all week. It, it was or the whole feud. There's just been a lot of things. And this is why Tony if he does need women putting forward creative ideas for women, he does need to realize he can't like he can't book everything 
But if he's gonna like let someone take the reins on something else, maybe it should be the women's division, considering he's not a woman and he doesn't seem to be able to write anything good for them, give have any ideas for them. If if these women were given like a tenth of the amount of time that someone like Jericho is every freaking week to tell little bits of their story, there'd be way less complaints. Yeah, and I think, and I'll put up. We got we got to put a button on this and do one more story, and then we'll throw to we'll do the wrap up, and we'll throw to through Gunther and everything to, to close the show. But um, I think that the 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 issue, it's like a nuanced argument here, and it's maybe not that nuanced, but a lot yeah. of female wrestling fans see Tony's response about you know the flow of the show and how it was a great flow, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to put anything else onto it, as very similar to Triple H's SummerSlam comments about how. This is a great show. The people that get on the card are the people that deserve it. We only yeah. we don't pick people based off of their gender. We just book by who's over at the time. Cool. You know how you can, uh, I don't know, uh, have more women on your card. Make sure they're over at the time, right? And the way yeah. you get them over, the way you make them interesting to an audience is you tell stories with them. Um, I think that is maybe a better argument for WWE uh, than AEW because, as been pointed out by our good friend Matt Coon, uh, I do think that Tony has a tendency to book the match and then tell the story as opposed yeah. to tell the story, yeah. then book the match. And when you're booking matches and working backwards, you're, you're, you're just straight up picking people you want to see fight each other and you are picking men. And that is what you were doing. You're picking mm-hmm. men to get over and then telling stories about them. Bottom line, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> Exhausted. All right. Last thing here. We'll shift topic. We'll do one WWE story, then we'll wrap up. We'll throw to Gunther. John Cena's back. He's coming back on Friday. He's going to be part of SmackDown for seven weeks. He's going to team up with Seth Rollins at WWE Superstar Spectacle. I'm going to guess against Jinder Mahal and maybe Veer. I don't really know what the tag match is, but Cena's coming back seven weeks. Any reactions to it, Steph? Yeah, it's always nice to see Cena back. And they're on a really good run right now with with ratings and everything. Um, and John Cena is probably going to help them stick on that run as well. And it'll be interesting to see what he does for these seven weeks. But uh, it's good. I, 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 You know, I used to hate Cena. And the older you get, the more you just like him and he's like a friendly face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, look, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about him, like, abandoning the uh, SAG-AFTRA picket line to come wow. to WWE stuff. He but, is a wrestler after all. <laughs> hey, but, yeah, he is. He is. John, John's got to keep that house paid. He's got a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that it, this is, it, from a wrestling perspective, only good. Seven weeks. Hopefully he gets to work with a bunch of people, get attention on a bunch of people. And and this is great for everybody. So I am I am with you. All right. Before we throw to Gunther to wrap up the show here, uh, let's do our outro. We went a little long here today. There was a lot to get into. I think we, we actually left a lot of news on the cutting room floor. So I will encourage you to go to houseofwrestling.com if you want to hear, see, hear and see more coverage. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. It'll be me, our very good friend, Ref Marsh from John Arezzi's podcast. He also does the graphic designs for uh, House of Wrestling. Marsh is going to be here talking news with me, and we'll have my SummerSlam week interview with Ricochet, which I think is my last SummerSlam week interview. Uh, and, of course, check out the House of Wrestling podcast feed and YouTube channel. That's where we put all of our interviews uh, for the site. Uh, yesterday, I dropped a great interview with Richard Holiday, hottest free agent wrestling, former WWE star, used to be, uh, or maybe still is. I didn't really get into his relationship with Alicia Tout, but she was certainly talked about here today. Go check out Richard Holiday over on the YouTube channel and podcast feed. Steph, 
Uh, anything that you want to plug for, put over here while we wrap up? Um, yeah, just go check out my YouTube, Stephanie Chia's Wrestling. I should have some stuff up from All In Weekend um, over this week. And yeah, and go follow me on Twitter at Stephanie M. Chia's. Awesome. And uh, here, wait one second. Let's ignore that. Let's ignore that. We'll ignore that. Sorry, I should have queued that up earlier. Um, all right, everybody. We had a great time here today. Thank you all so much for supporting. Steph, you're welcome to stick around or you can head off here right now. But everybody here, please stick around. Here it is, uh, my conversation with the one and only Gunther from SummerSlam Week. House of Wrestling, everybody. It's me, Nick Hausman. At this time, I am joined by WWE Intercontinental Champion, Gunther. Gunther, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, this is a huge match that you've got tonight or tomorrow night. Drew McIntyre back in the fold. How do you feel going up against a guy that has pushed you to your limits so many times so far? I uh, feel very good, very confident. Uh, but I also, like you said, Drew is a big obstacle, right? It's a big challenge. One of the very few in the company would think that is like weight-wise is a little bit heavier than I am, and uh, might be an inch taller too. So. Uh, that advantage that I usually have, that I'm a little bit bigger than everybody is, is gone. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I'll make the best out of it. But like I said, I'm very confident. Uh, they only rely on this. And I think it's going to be amazing for the audience. And it's going to be, yeah, a good time doing it. Absolutely. And Drew just spent some time away from TV for a while. A lot of speculation about why he was gone. Were you surprised to see him back? And what did you think about the time that Drew spent away from the company? Um, well, I'm very focused on myself, to be honest. So when he was gone, so yeah, I guess it was needed. Um, but at the end of the day, he picked a very good spot to return, I would think. Um, obviously, it was the O2 in London, Money in the Bank. Uh, that's his people there. So that was wisely picked. Um, but I'm very glad he's back and we can get that singles match now. How was it uh, getting to go five minutes and more with Chad Gable here recently on WWE Raw? That was an eye-opening performance for a lot of people for Chad. Um, yeah, surprising, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess for you, you know. <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Um, no, I think he's an amazing athlete. I mean, former Olympian, what can you say? Um, and just in general, I remember when I was still in Germany running my wrestling school. I used to show all the students the tag match from um, him and Jason Jordan against the Revival back then. Oh, yeah. um, he's an amazing wrestler. Um, yeah, a little bit of a goofy fella at the moment. I'm not sure if that suits him as much. And yeah, maybe it's needed that I'm the one that yeah brings another side out of him. Well, uh, he has obviously Otis and Max du Maxine Dupree in his corner. You have uh, you have Fabian Eichner and you have uh, Giovanni Vinci. What Fabian, by the way, put up a huge win recently against Matt Riddle on Raw. Like, can can you give me your thoughts that on the fact? So yeah. that, that was actually Kaiser. Oh, Kaiser, sorry. To correct you on that. Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, he did, um, and deserved, I think. Um, we hold us free, I think. The standard for us is very high. Um, I think we are the ones that pressure ourselves the most. Uh, we don't really compare each other, uh, us with the other people. Um, but yeah, it was about time that Kaiser gets the time in, and yeah, very well deserved. Sorry, my brain was in NXT there for a moment. A lot of people have gone back to NXT, by the way. Is that something you consider going back and maybe defending your title down there? Uh, I don't think right now. I think um, I move forward. And I've spent my time in NXT. And one day, I think it will be nice to return and do a match again. But as of right now, my focus is elsewhere. Um, I'm on the run of a lifetime right now. And yeah, 
I can't really divert my focus to other things. All right, last question. Obviously, the big thing that everybody buzzes about with you is the potential you're going to break the honky-tonk man's intercontinental championship record. How does that pressure weigh on you? Does it weigh on you? What would you think if you were to surpass honky-tonk's record? I mean, the closer it comes, the more you think about it here and there because, like you, people talk about it. Um, but at the end, I'm not too focused on it. I'm focused on Drew McIntyre tomorrow. Um, I'm focused on SummerSlam. That's the big deal now. And once all it's said and done, then I can maybe lean back and yeah, worry about breaking the record or enjoy it when it happens. Um, but as of now, that's not a big focus for me. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Gunther. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.